This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Hey there. Welcome to another episode of Dune Talk. This is the show with all the latest Dune news and in-depth reviews. Today, in addition to movie updates, we're taking a closer look at Dune Part 1, the photography, and what its beautiful photos tell us about the first movie's deleted scenes. This is Marcus Gabriel, your editor at dunewsnet.com, and I'm looking forward to diving into the behind-the-scenes content with three fellow Dune experts. Hey, you guys, it's Garen. Uh, excited to be on today, and it's really interesting for us to kind of look at uh, deleted scenes uh, from the photography book and kind of speculate on on why and and what those may have added to the to the original film. So excited about it. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for joining us. Yeah, uh, like Garen said, I'm excited to dive in. Johnny Sobchak here. Um, and uh, it's an interesting uh, episode, I think, because I actually haven't gotten the book yet. So I'm excited to kind of see more from it and, and hear the guy's perspectives. And um, I'll probably end up being convinced to buy it, I'm sure, by the end of, of the episode. But uh, I'm excited to dive in. Hi, it's Mark from June Info here. Um, thanks for having me back on. Uh, excited to talk about the book. Um, it's June is the film that keeps on giving. Uh, lots of still still new information, new pictures coming from that film, even though it's been out a couple of years now. Okay, so we're going to start with some movie news. Dune movie news. So let's let's just get the sad news uh, out of the way first. So as you're probably aware by now, the wait for Dune Part 2's release has gotten longer. Co-producers Warner Brothers and Legendary have decided to delay the movie to March 15th, 2024 and this comes amid the still ongoing actors union strike uh, after 40 days there's really no satisfactory resolution in sight uh, in fact um, as we're recording the negotiation has not yet resumed even so if you're not familiar with that situation we covered this plus implications of a de delay for dune uh, two episodes ago uh, johnny as it stands now it looks like dune part two won't have really much competition surrounding its new release dates uh, in a nutshell what are your thoughts on march 15th well, first, I guess I'll say is that, you know, we're all disappointed. <laughs> and um, I guess the good thing about this in terms of the announcement was that we kind of had an idea that it could be coming really at any moment. So it wasn't a total blind side. But, um, you know, understand the reasons and, and hopefully it uh, will benefit. I, I think personally, given the date that it's gotten, like you said, March 15th, I think it will ultimately be better financially for the film than if it had gone ahead and they didn't have the strikes resolved by the November 3rd release date, which all things considered, they may not be, you know, realistically. So a lot of people are reacting like, oh my God, there's these, this movie, this Disney movie, this Snow White movie and, and these other things. But ultimately, a lot of those movies are going to end up getting delayed, I think. Some of them already have been delayed. Uh, Godzilla versus Kong, for example, had Dune's date. And of course, it's a legendary Warner Brothers production. They pushed that back. Uh, a month to accommodate Dune. So I think all things considered, there's still going to be a lot of movement um, in terms of competition. And frankly, I think if there are other films out that come out before Dune, like a Kung Fu Panda movie, which I think is dated for that right now, like the weekend prior and A Quiet Place, which is a little bit of a smaller type of film, um, although it is kind of sci-fi and action oriented. I think that Dune still would be kind of the premier and like IMAX event, ultimately for financial purposes and for future Dune projects. This is probably the best bet. Um, you know, in a perfect world, it would have came out in November without the strikes ongoing and all that would have been resolved. But that just isn't how it's going to pan out, it seems. So um, I, I ultimately, I hope everyone feels just like they can hang in there and that uh, it'll be worth it in the long run for just the prospects of the movie and, and how well it does. And it'll be worth the wait, I'm sure. The Landsraad High Council is now in session. Dune Part 1, the photography, hit the shelves in the U.S. on August 15th. Uh, this deluxe hardcover comprising 282 color pages features hundreds of the best photos taken by unit photographer Chiabella James. She was with the cast and crew throughout the whole production of Dune Part 1 in Hungary, Norway, Jordan, and the United Arab Emirates. Uh, Mark, the book actually released in the UK earlier for once. Um, would love to hear your overall thoughts on this publication and if you have any favorite photos. Yeah, sure. So this is the book. I've taken the paper sleeve off. So um, 
I don't damage it. But it's a big book. If you've got the Art and Soul of June, it's it's pretty much the same size and dimensions of that. Um, beautiful book, high quality paper, high quality images in there. Um, a lot. Some of the photos we've seen before because they are the official uh, publicity photos. But when I was flipping through the the one that stopped me dead, which is one I know we're going to talk about later, is the one of Paul and Jessica, where Jessica's training Paul in voice and telling him to drink the flame. Uh, it's a scene that we know uh, was in the script, but there was no evidence that it was filmed up until that photo. So that that was a showstopper for me. So as alluded to, the book contains many never before seen photos, some of which pertain to scenes that were deleted from the final film. And we're going to go through a number of these delayed, deleted scenes now in their likely chronological order. As we've mentioned before, based on a 2018 version of the Dune Part 1 script, the beginning of the movie could have been quite different. In that scenario, the movie begins with opening narration by Reverend Mother Mohayim, and we see a stylized mosaic on the wall of a Ben Gesserit temple. She's telling the history of the Imperium, starting with the Butlerian Jihad, and that sets the stage for the current balance of power with the three great schools and their dependence on the spice. The next shots uh, would have been uh, planet Arrakis among the stars. And then we see a stealth ship penetrating its upper atmosphere at incredible speeds. From below, it looks like a shooting star. On page 207 of the photography, we see a close-up on Jason Momoa. Behind the scenes, he's filming the next shot at Origo Studios in Budapest, Hungary. It's on the inside of that ship, He's a commando sitting at the back. He has an airtight helmet on with clear faceplate, and that ensures uh, the wearer has good visibility. On the prior page, we see a photo of Momoa standing up from the rear. He's fully clad in that black drop suit. Perhaps this is when he's just on his gear or is getting ready to jump. You really get a good feel for the level of details that went into creating this costume. It's well fitted, but looks very protective with padding into joints. And then yes, the commando drops out of the speeding ship as it clears rocky cliffs and zooms up again. This is free fall with no parachute involved. The next part of the scene was shot in the desert of Wadi Rum in Jordan. As the commando uses his suspensor belt to slow down on that final descent towards the rocks. On page uh, 17, we see the stunt double Kim Farty as he's suspended in the air. Then we have that striking shot of Momoa from, from behind, uh, overlooking the open deserts before, before him. At this point, it's revealed to the audience, audiences that this is Duncan Audioho. Uh, then he gets ready, heads off, uh, looking for the Fremen. So I, I can just imagine, like seeing the seeing the scene in a, in a IMAX uh, theater. That would that would have been a, a incredible scene. Um, and um, it's interesting because th this scene was going to happen like before the, the title was going to show. So it could be going to be like a cut and then show the title screen and then. Uh, continue from from there, and it would have gone on to the the, uh, the Gomjabar scene uh, immediately off the bat. So re really, a lot of uh, changes from from that version. Um, in, in the end, though, I can see why Villeneuve and Walker decided uh, to cut this from the movie. It makes an absolutely visually stunning opener. However, if you look at the current film as it was released, like how would you fit this between the expanded Caldan scenes that got into the final film? Maybe it would have like been awkward with the with the pacing at that point. It would have to be. Uh, after Paul and Duncan speak in the hangar. And at that point, this scene doesn't feel as as necessary anymore, considering there was so much other great stuff that was uh, was cut from the uh, from the movie at in the end. Having said that, like I, I was thinking back about uh, some of the comments that uh, Momo has has made about, you know, like he would love to see a a six hour cut of the the dune movie. we We know that a six hour cut it doesn't exist, but uh, you know there there certainly is a lot of footage that we we haven't uh, seen. Uh, like I'm, I'm keep thinking back to, uh, you know, what would have been like if Dune was filmed as a, you know, an, an HBO uh, series, you know, like that you had the whole, whole like first half of the book filmed as like an eight to ten episode run, sort of like uh, Game of Thrones. I could imagine that like scenes like this would make perfect uh, episode uh, openings. Um, opening that would have been visually just stunning, um, and for an IMAX experience, uh, it would have been amazing. But there's something I think really significant about some of the first imagery and characters that you see in a film, and and the fact that uh, Duncan Idaho uh, dies in part one, and and uh, don't worry, there's more. But 
but he dies in part one. And yet, if we're opening with that character to the uninitiated, that, that might clue them into, oh, is this my main character? Is this is this the person I'm I'm following? Or or it raises the level of importance of that character. Not that Duncan isn't an important character, because he's very important, but I, I just think they made the right decision uh in, in starting, especially with Chani's opening narration and sequence of the background of of, of Arrakis. I, I thought that was brilliantly done, even though I really would like to see this as you <laughs> described it. I'm envisioning it. I'm like, yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, I uh, totally agree with Garen. I think that it was the right decision. I mean, yes, I would love to see this. I think it would have been very, very cool. And I had it really in my mind, I think, for a long time, you know, going back to those years like 2020, 2021, that this would be potentially the opening of the movie. Um, but I think, yeah, in the context of the overall story and and also like part one as a as an isolated kind of piece of storytelling, I think that the opening with Johnny and that exposition, the Harkonnens and Arrakis and just all those little details that we get right at the front, like that makes it so clear what's important and what's happening. And as cool as, as this would have looked and Duncan, yes, he is important. And I think it would have been fitting in some ways if he was the first character in the Dune universe that we got to see on screen in this adaptation. I think that, um, yeah, it would have been a little bit awkward either just as an opening or even trying to fitting it in, yeah, later in, uh, in the kind of sequence of events that we know we actually get in part one. And I think Denny Villeneuve said something along the lines of like, once he deletes a scene or, or cuts a scene like it's just dead like he doesn't have any any reverence or emotion for it um so i think that that's something i guess we could all consider moving forward is that most likely we're never going to see this stuff i think is is the safe bet but you know you never know one one thing that's interesting as well is that this duncan drop scene uh part of it was filmed against an led wall which is a technology that greg fraser helped pioneer on the mandalorian uh, and so that's that was the only shot in the movie that used LED walls, and <laughs> it was cut. Mark, do you think that was maybe a reason? Is 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 Villeneuve, uh, you know, a traditionalist, and he didn't want to do that? Do you think? Um, possibly. I think he said that it didn't fit uh, with the look of the rest of the film or the tone of the rest of the film. Um, so I don't think he's necessarily against the technology, but he's he's very much a he likes to. The physicality of scenes he said you know the way that the light falls on a table or or something like that it, he likes the randomness of of filming um the photograph that i'm going to talk about now from from the photography book is on page 98 um and this is from a, a deleted scene which which is a pretty exciting one and this shows uh paul and jessica uh in a stance where they're they're fighting each other, uh, it looks like Paul has a, a blade um, near Jessica's face, and she's uh, she's deflecting that, and and their their arms are uh, kind of in uh, aggressive posture as they're as they're fighting each other. And and why this is really significant to me is <clears throat> this is actually one deleted scene that I that I really missed, uh, having been a fan of the book. Um, because the whole notion that uh, Paul was trained by Jessica, trained in the ways of the, the Bene Gesserit, which is, which is incredible control of, of breathing and muscles and movement and thought. And it, it's just, it, it's this discipline on a level that is beyond really anything that, that we are, we're familiar with. And that he was trained from a young, a, a young boy uh, in in this type of fighting, um, and there's there's a lot of significance to that. Even in part one, uh, in the end, when when Paul uh, fights Jamas, and and how significant that is that he was trained, you know, in that in that uh, discipline of fighting. Um, so this is a scene that's a, it's a beautiful shot. Uh, you know, it's it's obviously um, it, it looks like it's on Caledon. Can you guys tell me if that's yeah. likely Caledon? It is, yeah. There's another photo of them fighting and in the background of that one, which isn't in the book, it's in the Art of Soul book, but you can see the Caladan fireplace uh, just oh, right. in the background. Um, so presumably this is from the same shot. It looks like yeah. Caladan carpets as well. So That's right. I can see that. 
it this is just a relationship and a part of the development of Paul as a character that I missed and and I I understand uh, you know Villeneuve has to make decisions um, he has to to be able to he can't include everything that's all directors and editors have to deal with this this fact um but just that this part of the book is something that has always and still today is is an element of, of Frank Herbert's writing that I love I love the way he he uh allows you to picture this level of discipline of the human body in a way that that creates a a, a lethal killing machine but that that's not always what they choose to do. Um, the Bene Gesserit sometimes choose to use the voice. They they choose to use other methods and and tools uh, to get what they want. Not always violence, and and that's even something that was written into the uh, the script uh, from 2018 that, that that we believe was likely uh, legitimate. And and so this scene was was left out. But I, for me as a fan, I I, I miss it. And so seeing this image. Which Mark, you alluded to earlier, my my heart stopped as well. I was like, oh, I would have loved to have seen this uh, included in the in the final version uh, of Villeneuve's film. Um, the other shot that I want to talk about is uh, on page one forty one of the photography book is uh, Jessica and Paul meditating, and and this is this is at Arakeen on Arrakis, and 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 this scene uh, was was not included. But again, this is along the same lines of, of the other shot that I just got done uh, talking about that would have helped us to understand the, the level of training and mind control and body control that, that Jessica was, uh, was sharing with Paul, that she really was training him in, in the ways of the, the Bene Gesserit, which perhaps, again, to someone not familiar with the story, I guess this could have introduced some potential confusion. I guess there's, that's possible, but but I just think um, this is such an important part. The Bene Gesserit and 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 their ways and methods are really an important part of the whole story, as are the Bene Gesserit themselves. And so I just think it would have added a, a dimension of richness, and um, it, it just in in the final cut of, of part one. It just doesn't, it alludes to this stuff. It alludes to this level of attention that Jessica was giving to Paul, but it would have been really amazing to see it. Uh, and, and with the imagery and, and, and music and, and the emotion of that. So um, again, uh, just, just even the control of muscle movement and breathing and thoughts and all of that stuff that we get in the book, which we actually get to see and, and understand the, the character's thinking which is the advantage of the book. Um, but there's no one that has done a better job of helping us get into the minds of the characters than Villeneuve with, with part one and, and even his other movies for that matter. So um, this is another scene that, that I really would have loved to have seen. And, and now we see this happening on Eric Keen, uh, you know, in the, in the, in the palace. And I just think that would have been really exciting. I, th I think perhaps one of the reasons why those scenes were cut is, they're almost duplication of stuff that we've seen. It's like we've seen Paul train with Gurney. So do we need another Paul train knife fight scene? And we've always we've already been introduced to the voice uh, with the Gom Jabbar scene. Do we need to see Paul learning that? I, I'd love to have seen these, these scenes, absolutely. But I can kind of see why they could have been uh, thought redundant. Yeah, Mark, I, I think, um, you know, Garen summarized the the feelings of why we'd want to see it uh, very well. But I think, Mark, you're right in terms of, yeah, just kind of redundancy or like what what don't we need? And I think you need the Gurney fight scene. You need that training moment with him um, to just really set up that character at all and the relationship between him and Paul. Uh, you can't really afford to cut that. And then in terms, I think, of, you know, I certainly understand people are like, oh, I wish we got a little bit more like Bene Gesserit training with Paul because we don't have like a ton, you know, outside of what happens like with him and Jessica earlier in the movie at, at the breakfast scene. And, and then of course the Gamja bar scene, but I think the Gamja bar scene in particular does such a great job of, 
highlighting the uh, intensity and like the importance of this training that that Paul has done with Jessica. Um, just between like the dialogue that we get with the Reverend Mother and then also the, I think what's so brilliant about that Gamjabar scene is it sets up that, you know, Paul's been through some sort of training and Jessica has taught him all these different things that she knows. And then it goes into this, this cross-cutting sequence where we have Paul going through it uh, with the Reverend Mother. And then on the outside, we have Jessica kind of just imagining what he's going through and kind of like expressing that um, as they're kind of both going through the the litany and everything. Uh, I think it's just, it's really done in a very, like, I guess it could be seen as a little bit too subtle, but it's kind of more subtle. And of course, with the cross cutting and the images that we see like inside Paul's mind, like it's a very like cinematic kind of way of going about that. And I just think like, like this, this second photo that, that Garen was describing, it would have been very cool. And I'm sure they would have come up with some sort of ways to, flesh it out and really make it interesting for the audience but i could see it being a little bit too i guess like maybe or maybe not like cinematic enough i guess like just having to stop and like sit with these two characters and have them go through this little training moment where they're sitting together and, and just uh going through the techniques and whatnot so i i can see why but yeah i think it'll this will be kind of a, a tired message by the end but we would love to see this stuff but i also understand it but so far why these particular things wouldn't have made it in ultimately this image on page 179 um that i chose it's kind of a a distant shot looking at to the, the huge kind of cavernous uh arakeen um keep uh and there's this huge corridor where i'm it's hard to tell the way that they film it and how it appears in the movie versus behind the scenes how many of these areas they actually constructed or use because it you know especially the way the 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 angles are done and the different uh, stairs that they kind of use at different parts of it it's hard to know but uh essentially we have duncan idaho or jason momoa as duncan idaho um where he's walking through this huge corridor in the arakeen residency and um it's like basically pitch black except there's this one single light source um essentially uh, moving alongside of Jason Momoa and it's you can see the uh I can't remember exactly what what member of the crew this would be kind of pushing this but it's like some sort of cart with this huge light that would be one of those uh kind of glow globes and more elongated kind of floating lights and uh it's moving next to him and the interesting thing about this I mean as a photo and kind of as an insight behind the scenes I think it's it's beautiful and gives you an idea in particular of like the scale of the sets. Um, and even though it's so dark and there's only this one light source in this particular image, you can just see the the little details, the designs, like the ornate, you know, rug that's on there, the carpet that's on the ground and the the walls and kind of how the different little stone uh, details are kind of put in there. Um, but in terms of what this scene would actually be, I'm kind of, I'm more curious to hear what, uh, you book experts think of this because I'm not really sure where this might fit into the overall story. If there's maybe something from the novel that this might um, tie back to more specifically, um, because there's not anything with you know, the little bits that we get of Duncan, you know, in the residency with everyone, there's not anything that really like stands out to me outside of maybe maybe before or after like the dinner scene, maybe like the kind of the, the more, the, the scene that we know, of course, is very famous from the book. And then it was kind of shuffled in and out of the movie um, where Duncan is drunk and he's kind of like, tired, you know, just walking around and kind of going on this uh, little uh, rant, but yeah, I'm not sure it's, it's interesting. Definitely. And I would have loved to have seen some more Duncan, especially if this was maybe tying into some other scene that we we're not, we're not aware of, but um, yeah, I'm curious what, uh, what you all think. Yeah. There, there's no evidence to that, but that's also the first thing that, that came to, to mind for me that, you know, like, uh, you know, after the dinner scene, Duncan re returns, he, he's drunk and is, is basically, it, it may have confused people, but it, it would have also given some, some character, more character development to, to him, like, you know, put, put an understanding of like, the situation that they're they're in and maybe like reactions of of jessica or another character who like observes him like because we all see 
um, one shot, uh, I don't think it was in, in this book, but you see a shot of like uh, Jessica also walking in a, in a long, long corridor, and that's one in the red dress. I wonder if, if she, she notices something off about Duncan. So yeah, that would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's unusual because he's he's got his jacket on, he hasn't got his swords on, so it's not during the attack on the palace. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, Drunken Idaho is the only scene that comes to my mind as well. But it might have just been a, hey, this will be a cool shot and just get it and see if it would fit yeah. in the movie somewhere. Who knows? Okay, well, let's move on to, uh, this is on page 143. Uh, this is a a shot uh, showing uh, Dr. Yue and and Jessica. And, and what is happening right here is they're at the top of the stairs which you'll be familiar with uh, from the final cut of, of part one, um, where uh, you know this is this is shortly before uh, Leto is is attacked um, and 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 hit uh, by the projectile. But this is before then. But it's on the, that staircase that that you'll remember from the film. And uh, the lighting's just a little bit different. But uh, Dr. Yue and Jessica are looking out through the the thin. Uh, you know, narrow windows out, and what they're doing is they're apparently they're they're watching um, the group that's going out to in, to inspect the spice fields. So a, an ornithopter is lifting off. Now we're not seeing that in this shot right here as I'm describing it, but this is what apparently they're looking at, and they're having. This is the conversation from the book that that you'll remember if you've read the book, and that is where Dr. Yue reveals that his wife, uh, Wana, was, was uh, taken by the, the Harkonnen and, 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 and really, um, he doesn't describe exactly uh, what happens, but that they, they tortured her and, and, and did things to her that are unspeakable. Um, so, so this is a scene that I, I, I see why um, not as much time was spent on this, but there again, um, I think it could have provided a lot more depth into Yue's motivation. Um, I would just say my only kind of brief thought on this is, I think this is the one scene that's been alluded to or that we've gotten some glimpses of in this book or other sources or materials where I genuinely do wonder, like, why didn't they include it? And the only reason for that that i feel that way is that i think if you got this one additional scene with ua that it would have added just that little extra um texture and kind of depth to that character and like his motivation it would also give you a little bit more of a almost like not foreshadowing necessarily but kind of like it's planting that seed that he's you know vulnerable uh and that he may be a liability and so, yeah, I, I genuinely wonder, like, this would be the one I would ask if I got the chance to talk to Villeneuve. I'd be like, you know, why didn't you include that scene? Like, what was the reason, like, for cutting it? Or, like, where would it have fit in the movie? Or, you know, what what was the ultimate decision there? Because it also seems like it would have been a fairly short or quick sequence as well. Um, and I'm just wondering, yeah, maybe if it was it an instance of it just, was just too awkward to fit it in or they couldn't find, like, the right flow or, or space in the edit um but yeah it, it's just i think that's the one more than any where i'm like if we got gotten that little extra with yui i think that would have been uh you know almost perfect yeah dr yui doesn't get an awful lot of screen time this scene was cut the scene where he gives paul the orange catholic bible was cut as well um and uh, but, uh, my, one of my favorite lines is when paul says why is dr yui here <laughs> almost as if he's like <laughs> what's this character doing here he's, he's barely in the film um so yeah it seems like they've just tried to streamline that character out because ultimately he exit the exits the film and he's not a key uh part of the film after that so i can only assume that they were just trying to minimize a character that ultimately you're going to forget about uh, my photos, my section. Uh, the first one is on page 192, and this is uh, the director, Danny Villeneuve, and he's he's bending over and he's talking to uh, Rebecca Ferguson as Jessica, who's bound and gagged, and she's lying on the uh, floor in the Arakeen Palace. Uh, we can see the 
these massive slit windows where orange light is coming in. So this photograph is, is very textured and very orangey. I'm not sure if it would have looked like that in the film. Um, and this is a scene where the Baron comes in and he knows that Jessica's awake because he says that Dr. Yui has timed the drug precisely. And he apologizes that she's bound, but he's well aware of Jessica's power of the voice. Um, and that's basically it. it. It's a very short scene. Um, and it would have been the only scene that we'd have with Jessica and the Baron. Uh, coincidentally, in the David Lynch film, even though that scene is in there, you never see the Baron and Jessica in the same shot. Whether or not they were filmed on different days or, or what, but there's, <laughs> there's no there's no shot of that. Uh, and also on a page 193, um, the next page, we see a slightly different shot of uh, Rebecca Ferguson still bound and gagged, but there's the cast and crew sort of milling around, uh, almost seemingly forgotten that poor <laughs> Rebecca is still bound on the floor. And what's interesting in this photo is in the background, you can actually see the Baron's uh, legs in his uh, suit, his armoured suit, which is something that we don't actually see in the film very much, apart from floating in the background. Um, and there is also another a photo uh, on the page 164 where we actually see Stellan Skarsgård in the suit, proving that he did wear the suit at some point because where we see him other times, he's floating and that was a stuntman. Um, oddly, on page 164, where he's, he's chatting with uh, Oscar Isaac, but the Baron hasn't got his makeup on. So whether or not he would have just been filmed from the waist down, uh, which is possible for the uh, scene with uh, Jessica bound on the floor. Perhaps we'd only see his feet. Uh, it's unclear, but that that it's a it would have been a nice set of it really nice scene to sort of show the power of that the Baron's got over Jessica and his awareness of the Benny Gesserit's power and explain why Jessica is gagged but not Paul in the Thopter. Uh, um, but again, probably cut for time. And there's finally on a page 196, we see uh, Denny Villeneuve sat on the same sh uh, on the floor in the same set, uh, contemplating this scene. It looks to be exactly the same scene, the, the carpet, the lighting. Uh, so that, that would have been uh, an interesting scene, but not to be. You know, this is almost the exact opposite of my feeling about the, U the UA scene. So this is one where it, there's absolutely like no purpose to it in my opinion like i think it would have been cool in some respects like oh the baron and jessica like okay but like you can cut just take them to the, the thopter they're there don't need to see what how that happened or why we get it and yeah I, I think the orange lighting and like the way the scene is shot like just from what we see in these photos is really neat um and uh you know, I love Villeneuve sitting back and kind of just like probably talking to Rebecca Ferguson or admiring the the setup. But uh, yeah, I think honestly, in some ways, it almost I prefer um, that that the Baron and Jessica don't interact or come into to contact in the first movie. I think that makes it a little bit more interesting or has uh, maybe some sort of significance, perhaps setting up for for part two. But um, yeah, uh, I think that this is a perfect example of of all the reasons why you would not include something. So I just, I'm gonna disagree on this one. Um, so I'm going to allude to something that that might uh, be unfair here, but <clears throat> because of those of you that have read the book and know the story, um, seeing them together to me would have been, would have had some significance to it. And, and albeit it would have needed to be very brief, okay? And that's all right. But it, it just, it reminds me of, of and and hopefully you'll see the parallels here uh but but just you know when when princess leia is first captured you know in in the original star wars and and uh and darth vader comes in and there's that little floating thing that with the with the needle and everything and it's just a it's just a quick brief scene but here's our ultimate villain and our princess as it were right and and I just think it would have been significant to uh, what's going to happen later in the story, as some of you already know, to have seen them together and to sort of put a fine point on this. Uh, the the Harkonnen now are in power, and the Baron has ultimate power right now, and and just a symbol of that. 
uh, because she's bound and gagged on the floor as vulnerable as you can possibly be. So um, I would have liked to have seen this, and I think it would have added a lot to perhaps what's later coming. So on this one, Johnny, I, I would have wanted to see it included. The next photo is on page 202 and takes place during the aftermath of the Harkonnen's assault on Arakeen. We see that Tufer Hawat, played by Stephen McKinley Henderson, has been captured. This is likely connected to another scene in the script where the Atreides Mentat is brought before the Baron. Here the Baron deceives Tufir regarding who the traitor was. He lies that it was Lady Jessica and all part of the Bene Gesserit Order's plans. Then he actually outright asks Tufir to join House Harkonnen. Of course, Tufir's initial reaction is, you can't be serious. The Baron is crafty, however, and emphasizes that Tufir stands to gain unlimited knowledge, considering the vast financial resources of the Harkonnens. Remember that Mentats are human computers, and a computer is only as useful as the data available to it. I can see why this scene was cut, uh, since their discussion also references Fade, and Villeneuve states that his decision was to keep some mysteries for the second movie, including this character. This isn't the only deleted scene that may have involved Tufir, who actually ended up having a relatively minor role in the first movie. On page 132, there's a sh shot of Timothy Chalamet and Stephen McKinley Henderson together in Paul's bedroom. This would have been interesting both from character development perspective and also knowing that Paul was trained as a mentat. In the end, however, with these cuts, the final film offered very little background about the mentats. Hopefully, like the Guild, this key school will be expanded on during part two. Um, this is one where it's um, more so kind of like looking behind the scenes and getting a little bit more into the Harkonnen kind of structure and some of the the people that that make that uh, world spin around. Um, we have the um, technicians, Harkonnen technicians uh, with Dave Batista as, as Raban. Um, on page 173, kind of the first glimpse we get um, is this uh, photograph where we have the uh in the list of individuals here so we have makeup artists prosthetic makeup artists treating them giving them uh you know their their ghostly kind of complexion and that is uh i'm sure i'm going to mispronounce some of these so bear with me but nikki de jong uh marta Antal, and athena uh sap sapanides uh provide the final touch-ups to extras uh playing the harkonnen scientist so we get this really cool and what i love about this shot uh what makes it so cool to me is it gives you like more of a glimpse into like the life and like the day-to-day -day of being like on a film set and like on a back lot because you have these three, you know, almost alien looking Harkonnens and they have their backs to the camera in this particular image. But then you have these, these women just wearing their, you know, usual like daily attire and they have their, their makeup brushes in hand and they have their sunglasses up so they can get a better look and they're, you know, treating them. And so it's just such a fun kind of casual like image just them at work. And then, but behind that, you have other crew members, you have other Harkonnen soldiers just standing around talking. And then even behind them, you see there's the landing craft kind of set from uh, a completely different section or time in the movie where the uh, Atreides are landing and coming out. And so, you know, that's uh, just the, you never think of it when you're watching the movie necessarily, but just all these different locations and sets and props and the crew members just kind of intermingling. Um, and of course the nature of shooting movies just out of order and kind of moving back and forth. So I think that one is a, a particularly fun photo. And then on page 176, we also get, um, an image, kind of a close up kind of, uh, uh, framing of one of the technicians in particular and we get a little bit more detail of the kind of gown and like the costume it kind of reminds me of the the gown that um in Blade Runner 2049 like in the morgue kind of area uh David Desmalchin's character for example they kind of have that that same uh futuristic kind of look to it and then uh on page uh 177 the very next page we get Daniel Scott Smith as I think that same Harkonnen technician uh, with Dave Batista, and this is the particular scene that I think that we didn't necessarily get of um, more of those those uh, folks coming in to kind of clean up and and take care of the Baron after the attack and after the, the Baron is is uh, injured or uh, damaged by the gas. So um, 
I think I love the little kind of mask that that comes over again. That's another kind of costume prop there. Um, I just love all the different, you know, I, I know people really have an affinity for the David Lynch kind of Baroque, very strange aesthetic, especially when it comes to the Harkonnens. But um, for me, I, I, I admire that stuff. And I actually haven't sat down and watched the entire David Lynch Dune yet. So I will be doing that. But I just also really like and personally, I guess, prefer this almost, I don't even know what the exact uh, description would be or like term you would use, but like, it's just this futuristic, but still like fairly grounded, like kind of simplified streamlined designs that they use for some of this stuff. And just a simple piece of like, presumably plastic that they take and put over this technician's face. And he has like the high collar, you know, a gown on I just think it just really works and it looks especially kind of clean in these black and white photos and you know their complexion is very light as well you know contrasting with Raban's armor for example and whatnot so I would have been curious how that I guess maybe what their thought was or like how that scene was going to fit into the you know the final film uh, presumably it would have maybe given some more context to the Baron going from being injured and being taken in like into this bath and then like maybe assisting him or like cleaning up, you know, in the aftermath of the attack. But um, yeah, I'm curious to see, or you know if you are familiar with any, any other reason or what the scene might've been. Um, but I think it would have been neat to see just a little bit more of the Harkonnens, I guess, and they're taking over uh, after the uh, destruction. Yeah. So that, that particular decontamination cell scene is in one of the earliest scripts and it is after the, the Baron has been injured and he's in a, a cell, which I don't think we can see in any of the photos. And Raban's asking, you know, what's happened? And the technicians say he's been injured, but, um, you know, they're working on him. And Raban asks, will he survive? And one of the technicians says, do you want him to survive? <laughs> uh, and Raban sort of says, if he doesn't survive, I'm going to kill you and all your family. I think something like that. So <laughs> that's right. Um, <laughs> so I, it would have a nice little scene to sort of show the loyalty, I guess, of Raban to his mm -hmm. uncle. Um, you know, he was in a uh, position to potentially take power, but um, he either didn't want to or was loyal to his uncle. So it w would have been fun. But again, another scene that we don't really need. I'd like to believe you guys that that we're we're going to see so much more of the Harkonnen. Uh, society and and uh giddy prime in part two that that maybe we'll we'll see these guys you know maybe maybe there's some uh part of the story where they'll just be in the background or they'll be um a part of you know seeing the scenes of of the baron or others because um you know as 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 Villeneuve has described we're going to see a lot more of the harkin in part two but we didn't we didn't really see a lot of them in part one you know it, it was it was really brief scenes and not very many actual characters um which which you know actually kind of goes along with the book but um it'll be nice to to see that uh the Harkonnen side the uh, that faction fleshed out more in part two so I don't know I don't know what I don't know how these decisions are made because these scenes are very costly and you're you're paying actors and and then it gets cut you know i know this is the part this is part of filmmaking right but um you know could they have maybe determined they didn't need these scenes before they shot them i guess that's the you know million dollar question and it's hard to do i'm sure i don't pretend to know how to do it any better than than the professionals so yeah, and th thinking of the characterization of, of Ravon in, in the scene, that, that would have been an in interesting moment because there is that aspect of him being loyal to the Baron, you know, like he he, he doesn't want, uh, you know, the, the Baron to, to die. And uh, I mean, he, he could have taken power, but I wonder if also at the back of mind, he was thinking of fade <laughs> in, in a way, like what happens if, if the Baron dies? Because we don't we don't know like that much about the, the relationship between uh, Ravon and fade and like how the power struggle potentially would have uh, ensued after that. So. I'm wondering if it was also part of Raban, like not wanting to like get out of this current situation of security that that he's in, where he, you know, he's going to be reinstated as governor of, of Arrakis, and you know, if the Baron is gone, like is is that you know up for grabs? <laughs> Better the Baron, you know, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good thought, Marcus. Okay, so uh, the next set of photographs, uh, we stay with the Baron, and the Baron is in his healing bath, which we've discussed before. And in an earlier version of the script, 
um, Raban would have uh, the Baron would have asked Raban to sell the spy stock slowly um, to pay for the invasion. And Raban would have said he can't because the Atreides have destroyed them. And that would have been a completely other different deleted scene, which I'm not even sure was filmed. Um, there's a concept art for that. But in this scene, the Baron would have been angry and risen from the bath and um, thrown stuff around the room. Um, so what we have in this photograph is the the Baron in bath scene, which we're familiar from from the final film. But the Baron is above the bath and there's rigging for the Baron. So we see him naked from behind and he has risen from the bath. Um, where, you know, in full, full suspensor mode, effectively, uh, which we see earlier in the film um, when he says, uh, my desert, my dune thing. So perhaps they, they decided to do his suspenses stuff earlier. Um, and uh, the, so, so that was on page 160. And on page 167, we see the Baron again. And he it looks like some sort of David Copperfield trick where a steel pole is going through his entire body. Uh, and there's cables suspending him on there. And we've got makeup technicians squeezing oil over his head to drench him in the oil for the scene where he rises out of the bath and what I liked about this picture is it reminds me very much of a scene from David Lynch's Dune where the Baron is rising up and he goes underneath the oil shower uh, just before he attacks the slave boy um, so that that visual of the Baron rising drenched in oil um, very similar and perhaps one of the reasons why they decided to cut it because it it does look and feel very very similar to the the lynch film yeah you know you know uh, the thought i have marcus or mark rather about uh not resembling things that david lynch had already done um i don't think that's out of the realm of possibility i mean you 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 don't want your creative uh uh, vision to, to overlap with someone else's. And I, I think it's really possible that, that once they kind of got into this and they began to say, wait, this, this has some real similarities to Lynch's, uh, depiction of the Baron that maybe, maybe we won't emphasize that as much. So, um, you know, it's a real, real possibility. And, uh, Final photo we're going to look at is uh, more of an honorable mention. Uh, so on, uh, page 152, we get, a a scene where we we have uh, Denis Villeneuve and uh, we have uh, jo Josh Brolin and um, uh, Oscar Isaac and it appears to be like a moment of downtime between the between the scenes you see that the uh, uh, costumer Braz Holtzman is working on Oscar Isaac's uh, uh, costume get, getting him ready and uh, yeah it feels uh, is, is again nice to see how the life was on, on set uh, like in, in between uh, uh, takes it looks like that they were having um, you know, like having fun and like ha having uh, great, great interactions with, with each other. And I think that that's one of the, the great things about this book, how it really captured uh, those those moments of um, how the film was was created that uh, otherwise you wouldn't have seen uh, as, as much of. Um, but the interesting thing in, in this uh, scene is that we see um, Oscar Isaac, he has the balisse in his in his hand. <laughs> And uh, that that makes me think about one of the the, the first uh, interviews when when like the first trailer from Dune Part One came out about uh, you know was was uh, asking Josh Josh Brolin if he plays the, the ballast and he was talking about like how unfortunately you know like it was cut out of the film and he was so so sad about it. But he also told a story that uh, when the ballast first came on set, it was actually Oscar Isaac who who grabbed it and he like played it uh, beautifully and and that sort of dis discouraged uh, Brolin in a way. So here's my theory, you guys. So so maybe Oscar Isaac is the is the better guitar player, and so Josh Brolin is recording what o Oscar Isaac is doing, and because of the delay in the film to 2024, Josh Brolin will be able to practice even more to be able to up upstage his his uh, previous uh, uh, fellow actor. So I don't know. You know, there's got to be there's got to be some ego involved in some of these. <laughs> talents that they have right <laughs> yeah austin butler did elvis as well so maybe they can have a guitar <laughs> fight at the end or something uh yeah so that's uh that's our show for this week uh we're gonna wrap it up here 
but yeah, th these these aren't the only uh, deleted scenes um, that, that that were were cut from from the movie. Um, let us know in the in the comments. Like, were, were there any of these that uh, you would most have wanted to see in the film, or from these or any of the other ones uh, that you've heard of? Would be interesting to to hear your thoughts as as well. Um, yeah, thank, thanks for having me back on again. It's it's been a been a fun time talking about the photographs. Uh, disappointing week for various reasons, but uh, great to be on and, and talking June with you guys. Um, if anyone wants to follow me, I'm on all the socials at June Info. Absolutely. Thanks uh, for joining us again, Mark. Always great to have you. And uh, yes, it's been a weird week and and uh, just a weird whole production cycle, I feel like, for both of these movies. That's typical Dune, though. I think we've already said that. Um, but Johnny Sobchak here again. Always great to, to be with the uh, crew and talk. Uh, about whatever we have to talk about at this point we'll see what we have how much we have to talk about in the next few months but um uh, thanks for watching as always and you can find me on twitter letterbox instagram at johnny Sobchek. hey it's garen thanks again for joining it's been fun to look at these deleted scenes and and speculate on on why they weren't included uh you can find me on on twitter uh, at dune companion but i i even though i am disappointed about the delay in, in the film um, I, I really think it could end up being a good thing in the end. So, um, you know, where there's where there's uh, adversity, there can be there can be a lot of uh, a lot of good things come out of it. So, yeah, it's uh, definitely been a been a long week, and uh, yeah, definitely feel the disappointment. At the same time, we are still going to be getting um, a, a lot of Dune content over over the next uh, weeks and, and months. Uh, some of the things that were scheduled, for example, the, the Empire magazine, which we're going to talk about next, they're, they're still uh, moving ahead, so we're going to get some some nice insights out of there, uh, some nice uh, books coming out, uh, games, so a lot of stuff, and then, of course, the marketing will hopefully start up uh, towards the end of the year again. Uh, so, um, yeah, we're not going anywhere. You're going to be seeing a, a lot more uh, Dune Talk as well. Uh, for now, take care. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops. Stay tuned to DuneNewsNet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.